partners. Welcome to the last week in March. Spring is here, Joseph. It's spring. We're getting a little dumping of some heavy, wet snow, spring snow. And the weather's only going to get hopefully better and better, even though it's still wet. But hey, April showers bring May flowers, even though it's still March. Uh, I'm already seeing green on the trees and the plants. Anyway, I'm uh, Jay, your traffic guy, your traffic anchor on Denver 7 News. And guess where? Denver, Colorado. I'm Jason Luber. There you go. I'm the overnight producer, Joseph Peters. Jason, it is Cadbury cream egg season. It is oh. Easter bunny season. This is my favorite time of Those the year. Those cream eggs are just delectable. My man. Oh, my goodness. But you know how horrible they are for you? It's actually just straight sugar and diabetes oh, in a it chocolate is. shell. It's just, <laughs> but they are so good. I don't know what what food coloring or what ugliness is in there. To make them those, you know, make those colors that are inside the eggs. Keep it coming. Keep it coming. Yeah, but it's not, uh, oof. anyway. So, uh, you know, I like a crisp pale ale, right? I don't know. What Do you like, uh, what's your favorite? I'm a Killian's. Nice. Oh, amber. really? Yeah. yeah. Okay, that's good. Uh, it's a Coors product, by the way. Uh, so anyway, here's a story that I saw the other day, and I thought it was a bit icky. San Diego-based Stone Brewing, the ninth largest brewer in the United States, Recently unveiled its newest creation. Listen to this. It's a pale ale brewed using recycled water that, quote, comes from the toilet, unquote. Why? Aptly named Full Circle, the unique beer is made with 100% recycled wastewater. Chief Brewer Steve Gonzalez admits to being skeptical at first, but says that Full Circle turned out to be one of his best works yet. He said the recycled wastewater needed only some additional salt to be perfect for brewing, and contradictory to the source of the water, it's a, quote, very clean-tasting beer. I'm intrigued. Even so, I, you know what? <laughs> I, if I was a customer there going in and trying this beer, this is information I wish I would know after trying the beer, not before. But think of all the people out there who did do that, who said, oh, this full circle from Stone Brewing, I must try it. And then they did try it. They were clued in on the secret. And then they said, Mm, I'm glad I made that decision. Yeah, see, that's the problem. The problem is my head. I'm thinking about it before going into it and going, I just can't do this. Yep. But if if it's already after the fact, you go, okay, I did that. It's all right. I survived. It was pretty good. I'll just move on. Be brave, man. Be brave and just uh, you know let the beer hit your lips. Right. That's, well, the thing is, there's so many other beers out there that you that's know what. True. <laughs> I I think I can pass and. For all we know, Coors is brewed with wastewater anyway. Recycled no, it's not. Anyway. It's, it, it's Rocky Mountain Refreshment. It's right there from Clear Creek. Uh-huh. Haven't you seen it? You've been out to the That's, brewery. You're right. I take have it you all been back. out to the brewery? I have. I've been. I have not been inside the brewery. I have been in the vicinity of the brewery. And you see Clear right. Creek running right to it, and that's the water that they use. Taste it comes right out of the yeah, right from there. Uh, so anyway, here's an update from last week. Remember the obscene bumper sticker guy, the case in Tennessee where Nashville police decided to drop its citation against Dustin Owens. He was the guy who got the fifty dollar ticket for the obscene bumper sticker with two stick figures having premarital relations. Right. Well, Tennessee law prohibits not only obscene bumper stickers, but also offensive ones. I was unable to get Dustin on the show, but his attorney argued that the bumper sticker couldn't be considered obscene. So they also argued that Tennessee's bumper sticker statute, as applied in this case, has violated his rights to freedom of speech and expression. And he won. He did. They dropped it. So lawyers for the Metro Nashville Police Department dismissed the citation, conceding the bumper sticker was protected under First Amendment. 
The police department also agreed to cover his legal costs for the case, so that also keeps the case out of the courts for now. But I predict Dustin or some other First Amendment attorney is going to pick this ball up and run with it and see where they can go. I feel like Dustin is working on his bumper sticker collection right now. Right, trying to find something that's more obscene. Oh yeah, how much further can he push the limit, Dustin? Seriously, we want to talk to you. Oh man, good old Dustin. You know, somebody's going to take this up. There's going to be plenty of First Amendment attorneys that are going to want to deal with that one. You got to right? fight for your rights. And again, Colorado, I don't know. They has I looked, and the only thing I could see obscene in the uh, driver's manual was obscene references to obscene gestures. Interesting. Yes, uh, that you, that <laughs> that it's not a good thing, and you should not do that while driving. That, well, that's the what they say, but you know, hey, it's the First Amendment. Uh, so Barcelona, get this, just banned old, dirty vehicles from its city center. Not only from the city, all right. Not only are they banning these cars older than twenty years in the urban center, it's also banning older cars from all surrounding municipalities, just twenty years or older. Okay, so starting in January 1st, 2019, so a couple of years down the road, any car registered before 1999 and vans registered before 96 are going to be prohibited from Barcelona's roadways on weekdays. They're also going to be barred from the 40 surrounding municipalities, and the basis of the plan is to cut down on emissions, right? But the ban will also affect 106,000 cars, 22,000 vans, about 7% of the cars, 16% of the vans that are on the roads right now in Barcelona, right? So I wonder if this is also a way to force some people to buy newer cars. That would obviously help boost their economy in Barcelona and also get more fuel-efficient vehicles on the road, I suppose, right? That would, that all makes sense. I mean, as far as ulterior motives go, there's plenty of motivation to make sure that all of those things happen. Part of this plan is a proposal to give a free public transit pass, valid for three years, to anyone who has to give up their car because of the ban. I bet that won't be cheap. But it's an interesting way to compensate the people that have to sell their vehicles or can't drive them into town while forcing them out of their vehicles onto public transport. I don't know. Is it? I mean, here's your consolation prize. You can't use your car anymore, but you can take public transportation to work, and it's probably going to take twice as long. Yeah, you know probably. what I mean? Like That doesn't seem like it's a fair trade-off. Well, and that's what they're doing. They're forcing people to get rid of these cars, or at least not able to drive them into the city, so you could still own them. You just can't bring them into town. And- but if you did get rid of your car, then they'll give you the pass. And they're using the guise of cutting down emissions in order to get this ban through. However, they're not doing anything about cars that are currently violating emission standards, and they're not making any sort of... And you and I both know it's not really about that. I'm, that's what I'm saying. Like, where's the allowance for people whose cars are up to emission standards? Like, let them stay on the road, right? Right. Well, discussions are underway on how to best enforce this ban. One proposal they have is that all cars would get a sticker that corresponds to their level of emissions. So not just the older cars, I guess, but maybe every car. Another proposal would install some controls at the entrance to the city. What, a gate? <laughs> you know? They're building they a, a scan- wall? Yeah, you're going to have one of those scanners that they have. Instead and, of a border like a wall. Like a ski lift where you have the, ski- <laughs> the guy scanning you, right? It's a beater wall instead of a right. border wall. Uh, and, <laughs> there you go. At the same time, the metro area of Barcelona has budgeted about $50 million to improve public transit. Again, I think this is more about getting people out of their cars, forcing them out of their cars, and forcing them onto trains or buses. And as you can imagine, there have been already a lot of complaints about this as there should be 
It's the same thing. Uh, uh, that is the dream, though, of so many proponents of the public transport. But the thing is, this is targeting poor people. This is saying poor people who can't afford nice cars, we're not going to let you use your old clunky cars. You're going to have to use public transportation. Yes. I mean, there's no way around. They're not forcing rich people out of their cars. They're not taking SUVs off the roads. It. It's gross. Well, that's the thing. They're not talking about trucks. They're not talking about large vehicles. They're not, like you said, is it really about emissions? You can have as many SUVs as you want in the city center. You just can't have an old car. Well, and what are the loopholes here? I mean, there's got to be some sort of allowance where if you have a classic car that's been restored, you're allowed to take it on the streets of Rome, right? Like if they have a hot rod parade on a Wednesday, you should be able to take your 1957 in there. This is the way they're doing it, and I could see this coming to big cities like New York City, maybe Washington, D.C., where they're having that their traffic congestion problems, uh, maybe Atlanta. Isn't that what they're shooting? I mean, there's a lot of cities that already have emission standards that are basically uh, forcing people off the road because they can't afford the modifications to their current vehicle. Yeah, so the, yeah, I'll, I would not doubt to see more and more of this. When you're looking for expert opinions, Joseph, on the worst intersections in one town or the other, where would you go? I would go to Jason Luber, the traffic <laughs> guy, every morning on Denver 7 starting at 4.30. There you have it. Or you could go to Uber drivers. <laughs> okay, that's fair too. <laughs> there you go. There's a blog called uberpeople.net. And they, on there, there are a bunch of Uber drivers and they're, they're chatting about different things. Well, anyway, somebody asked the question, what's the worst intersection in Metro Denver? And the answers really aren't too far off from what I would say, Okay. One driver says, Colfax at 225 during rush hour, you get trapped for a good 45 minutes. Time to think of your mistake. (laughs) (laughs) You're right, you do. Uh, You know, that's going to get better with all the expansion over there, over the Fitzsimmons thing when it's done. But right now, yeah, it is is pretty tough. Uh, Another driver said, Santa Fe, Alameda, I-25 area is always a nightmare. You're right, it is, because it's really been under construction for so long. The intersection will be better when all that construction on I-25 and Alameda, when it's all done, which should be done here this spring. Um, But one of the problems here is that northbound side of I-25, it can't be fixed from Alameda up to 6th Avenue because the uh, railroad, they just won't give up any land to CDOT. Of course not. Why would they? One driver said, now 6th Avenue going west off I-25 is always backed up. Denver does a horrid job of any road work. I expect that to carry over to the big I-70 project. Never a truer word there. I it, Honestly, that I-70 project is not going to be fun. No, not at all. I mean, we yes, absolutely. Everything that you say about delays in Colorado oh. and construction and all of the cliches completely apply. I mean, they're going to have lanes of I-70 shut down for days, weeks at a oh, time, you would think. It will not be good. It will not be good. That road is bad enough as a two-lane road. That's why they're <laughs> widening it. So let's cut it down to one lane for a year. Here's a positive one. Well, whichever moron decided the new on-ramps from Santa Fe to I-25 was going to help with traffic needs to be shot along with the idiot that thought going from four lanes to two on 225 at the dam hitting I-25. That guy, that guy's got issues. <laughs> that, and that four-lane thing isn't going to change. Uh, there's been talk about allowing traffic during certain times on 225 down from Parker Road to actually use the shoulder. But all that traffic on I-25 is not going to uh, fix anything. It's actually going to wreck I-25. And that's why I've heard from you know other sources that they'd prefer not to do anything, just leave it the way it is. It's a nice bottleneck in there, and that's on purpose to filter the amount of traffic that's getting onto I-25 So because it can't already handle the traffic that's that's flowing onto it. Did I hear you right? One of the proposals is to let 
let people drive on the shoulder? Yes, they would actually create the shoulder. It would be similar to like what the express lanes are because that's what on I-70 they did. They changed the shoulder to allow traffic to drive on it. So they would allow the they would create the shoulder area to allow some traffic at certain times, peak times. That's wild, though, because in my mind, I mean, we're talking about I-25, right? We're talking 225, 225, right by Yosemite DTC, where it goes from four lanes down to two. Yeah, I mean, is the shoulder even wide enough to turn that into a lane Probably of traffic there? I you, mean, if you configured all the entire roadway, you'd have to widen that. You'd be right up against the barrier, though. I'll tell you what, that would have the added effect of slowing down traffic on that street, because people be. would be so paranoid about sideswiping another vehicle that they would just reduce their speeds naturally yes and that's that that's what happens that's what a lot of uh, cities like to do is put these call traffic calming devices what they say uh of narrow streets trees whatever different things around to actually make you freaked out to make you slow down that's such a pc term to traffic calming devices yes, we're gonna make you is. drive it real close <laughs> to the other lane here's another i-25 south to six west with the federal exit in the middle of sixth avenue that middle exit is a tough one for some drivers to get their head around i'm telling you uh that was one of those design build projects where they do some initial design and then they start building and do more designing while they're still building. Oh, I think they should have spent some more time designing before they started building. <laughs> uh, here's another. Not fond of I-70 and Pecos. You know what? Some Here's the reason. Because I don't think some people like the roundabout. They just don't like it. It's I true. prefer them. I prefer the roundabouts to regular intersections. They actually reduce the amount of crashes that are happening at intersections. They actually increase traffic flow. They actually cost less for cities to put in because there's no maintenance for traffic lights. There's actually a survey that says people that prefer roundabouts have more creative thinking skills than people who don't. There you have it right there. Actually, That's it. Mic drop. I just made that up. That's, oh, okay. Oh, thanks. <laughs> there were other complaints about I-76 at 88 and 96 because they have roundabouts over there too. Uh, someone said – Eh, I-76 and 96 isn't horrible. It's 96 and McKay that's horrible. I recall there are some improvements coming there soon. Uh, here's one from downtown. I hate the intersection of Broadway and 20th heading up Lincoln and making that left turn, then oh. right to get onto Broadway. Those potholes there stink. Yeah, they do. And then it can be tricky to make that left and right go to Broadway. So you're going up on uh, Lincoln Street. You're making the left on 20th, right on Broadway. And it's a little bit tricky. Some folks don't want to let you in. That Broadway and 20th intersection, that's the one where it's the big old mess. And you got five different ways yeah. you can go, right? Right. Yeah. Here's a north side driver. When I used to work in Westminster, 120th and Huron was the absolute worst, especially right at rush hour. You get people who would pull into the intersection while it was green. It would turn red, but they had no way to go, so the next cycle would go, and for those people, couldn't get through. So at the last minute, once a car actually moved, they'd all floor it, and then a few of them would get stuck at the intersection as well, and the cycle just went on and on. That, that's just people pulling out there and waiting and waiting and waiting, and then they're the, it just not allowing enough left turns. And- there are some fake-out lights in this city, though. If you look at uh, it's on Colfax, I believe it's Stout. The light rail will flash right, that right. there's a light rail train coming, and it's never coming. It's just a ghost. One Uber driver said 64th in Highway 685 in Commerce City. The seven-way intersection can be a nightmare. It is a confusing one. If you look at this thing from a Google Earth view, it is really very confusing. Uh, there were a couple others, like one down on Hamden through Inglewood of the old Cinderella City, west on Hamden from Santa Fe. Your thoughts on any other big ones? I mean, you hit them all, man. Those yeah. are that is by far the murderer's row of bad Denver. I think I would add Spear into downtown, and also much along Colorado Boulevard. Also, can be pretty much of a nightmare, especially around the uh, Glendale area over the Cherry over Cherry Creek. Yes. Mm. Not not fun at all, my friend. Not fun.
Anyway, time to take a timeout. Coming out, there are some long, straight stretches of road, right? But there is one that tops them all. That and much, much more as the Driving You Crazy podcast continues. about getting up is the fact that most of us have only slept about four hours maybe uh, the night before so on any given morning you know you just never know what could possibly come out of our mouths in the morning uh, what's going to happen that's why you got to watch um, it, we're tired um, <laughs> but we're up and ready to go and uh, we like to help you get up as well nicole brady only on denver seven Denver 7 on the weekend is a great way to start your day. You get all of the news, the weather. We talk about what the weather's going to be like heading into your weekend plans, if it's going to affect it, if you want to head to the mountains. We have a good time, and we'd love for you to join us. Katie LaSalle, only on Denver 7. Welcome back to the Driving You Crazy podcast, where we strive to be better than the competition. In this case, there isn't much of any competition, so we win by default. Boom. And frankly, that's my favorite way of winning. As little effort as possible. All right, uh, we need some energy here, Joseph. All right. All right. All right. Uh, (laughs) Shuffle up and deal. Okay. (laughs) Here's some ridiculousness for you. There are several towns in New Jersey that decided to paint a single blue line down the middle of their main streets as a show of support for some police officers, okay? Okay. It's it's really a nice gesture. However, the Federal Highway Administration is playing the role of the Grinch because they say police should find another way to show their respect because the stripe makes the roadway unsafe. So this is part of a letter that the FHA sent to this little town in New Jersey. Quote, there are many appropriate and fitting ways to recognize service to the public that do not involve the modification of a traffic control device, which can put the road user at risk due to misinterpretation of its meaning. The use of blue lines as part of centerline markings does not comply with the provisions of of the Manual on Uniform Traffic Control Devices for Streets and Highways, unquote. I see you shaking your head. I don't know what to do with that. I, I, I mean, on the one hand, let them have their blue line. On the other hand, don't paint on the road. The FHA claims that the space in between the double yellow lines should always remain empty and the traffic code contains a specific classification for the use of blue paint on roadways. Now, in the traffic code book the blue paint is exclusively reserved for the background color of the international symbol of accessibility parking right the the handicap spaces okay so what they were doing is they painted the blue stripe in between the yellow lines in the middle of the road that's what they did to honor their police officers and the fha is freaking out one last part of this so the counties where this blue line was painted in the center of the road They went and removed the blue paint, okay? But one of the police chiefs was so bugged that he said, fine, I'll just paint the entire parking lot blue at the police department. Well, it's a private lot, so he can do what he wants, I suppose. Good for him. I guess the the highway problems are all solved now in the world because this is the highest priority for the Federal Highway Administration to tackle. 
where do you fall on this, right? Look, it's a nice thing. I think the FHA is being a little bit too strict here. People can figure out that you're not supposed to cross the double yellow line. And actually, technically, it's actually a single yellow line. It happens to be double yellow because it is yellow for the driver going one direction. It's yellow for the driver going the other direction. It's not the double for both sides. It's the single yellow. You're not supposed to cross the single yellow line. It's caution. There is bad stuff happening if you cross this solid yellow line. So really what you're doing is filling in that little gap. You're really not changing what you're supposed to be doing because if you're crossing the yellow line... You're going into something bad, not the necessarily the double yellow line. Do you get what I'm saying? Here? I do. I mean, I guess what are we going to file this under slippery slope? Like if you let these people have their blue line, next you've got to let people paint animals in the streets on certain holidays. That's a problem. You know what I mean? Like I, I think that's what we're trying to do is nip it in the bud, quote unquote. But at the same time, show me your survey that says that having the middle of a double yellow line painted blue is dangerous. I'd love to see it. Exactly. I don't necessarily buy that. So, But I can see where you're going with that, that, that every little holiday, then they're going to want to paint it green for St. Patrick's Day, and they're going to want to paint it red, white, and blue for uh, 4th of July, and, and then it gets out of hand, right? Yeah. I mean, wh- wh- I don't know. It's like we don't want to confuse people, but who are we confusing by painting a blue line Exactly. On the road? Especially for some police officers in this. I mean, come on. Right. Honestly, well, and that's just it. You can't, you can't say many bad things about police officers. <sighs> the longest straight road in the world is your guess. <laughs> what's the what's the highway through in Utah? the world? In the world, not uh, just in the United States. Not just, but... It's got to be in Russia, right? No, incorrect. <clears throat> highway ten in Saudi Arabia, which runs precisely due east from the oil complex of. I believe it's Harad or Haradi, something like that. I can't speak Arabic, so uh, all the way over to the slight bend near the you 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 couldn't tell, could you, Joseph? All the way to the slight bend near the border with the United Arab Emirates. It's a hundred and forty miles of straight, hot, wide open blacktop on a road about the same length as the state of Massachusetts. It's so straight that if your car had perfect alignment. You could actually lock your steering wheel, climb in the back seat, take a nap for two hours. Do we have road use statistics for that road? How many people are on this on a daily basis? I don't know. It's in Saudi Arabia. Like seven, right? Uh, The Irie Highway across Australia's uh, Nullbar Plain includes a stretch called the 90-mile straight. It's the second straightest road in the world. The drive is quite boring, I'm told, as it has bleak scenery, no trees. The highway's named for John Irie. The first European to cross the plain who called it, quote, a hideous anomaly, a blot on the face of nature, the sort of place one gets into bad dreams, unquote. (laughs) Oh, that's not good. The straightest interstate highway in the United States, your guess? Utah. It is. It's a section of a little more than 30 miles of Interstate 80 across the Bonneville Salt Flats there in Utah. And if you're looking to travel in a straight line in all three dimensions, this is the place, really. It's, it's really the only landmark is an 87 foot tall concrete sculpture called Metaphor, a tree of Utah. Oh, my gosh. There That's you go. That's the most Utah thing on the planet, too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised. So I guess the road from Las Vegas to Reno wouldn't be straight, but you would think that the highway. 
that goes from Vegas to Reno that takes up all of Nevada, and it's like an eight-hour drive would make it onto that list somewhere. You would think so, but it, there are some curves on there. There are some turns, and I've driven the entire road from Vegas around Pahrump and all around uh, Area 51 by Rachel, Nevada, and then back to Vegas. And so it is. there are a lot of straight stretches. but that's So this is just pure straight roads, because I think... The Utah yeah. thing, for us it's funny because we've been through Utah a million times, but to East Coasters, they would probably imagine it being in one of the other flatland states, thinking like a Montana, North Dakota, something right. like that. Well, actually, North Dakota likes to brag that State Highway 46 running 124 miles from Streeter to Lithia is perfectly straight. But looking at the map, it does have the occasional jog, like where it crosses the Cheyenne River at Little Yellowstone State Park. But there is a stretch from Little Yellowstone east to the town of Kindred that's over 40 miles of really completely curveless driving. Uh, there's also supposed to be a 64-mile stretch of unvarying highway along Oklahoma's Route 412 between Hardesty and Slapout. But it looks like uh, sorry, it's a little you know, slapout. <laughs> you never been to slapout, Oklahoma? I wasn't aware that there was a slapout. There is Oklahoma. a slapout, Oklahoma. All right, we might need to visit. <laughs> it, it does look a little wobbly though on Google Maps, but hey, it leads you to slapout. Uh, and there's <laughs> many European and American highway planners have purposely avoided long straightaways just to keep your attention on the road, and so you're not drifting off to sleep. But in that Arabian desert, for that. Straw long straight road. The stakes are a little bit lower. I think there's nothing within 20 miles to hit, except for sand or maybe a sand creature if they exist. So even if you do veer off the road, you're just going to keep going and going until well, I guess you hit a high enough sand dune to stop you. It's true. I mean, on the other hand, imagine running out of gas on that road. That would be bad. Also, population of slapout is eight as of the 2000. Really? Yeah. Eight. Eight. That's a couple more than uh, than Lakeside, Colorado. That's that's correct. Which is the smallest in Colorado, I believe, Lakeside. Slap out. Slap out. Good old slap out Oklahoma. <laughs> I know you want to find out more about slap out. <laughs> I think I found out eight. Population eight. I think that's population all I eight. To know. End of the straightest road in Oklahoma. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Here's a story from Forbes uh, written by guest writer David Galland. And he's a partner of Garrett Galland Research. So this is a, a really interesting story. I thought you'd get your take on this. So David writes, given the advanced state of driverless technologies and the amount of money being poured into the sector, there's little question, make that no question at all, that within 10 years, driverless cars will be the norm. Conservative prediction, 10 million self-driving cars by 2020. That's okay. That th- th- and this is from this is that guy. worldwide or is that just in the states? I mean, that's unrealistic. He, d- he didn't say. Way, it, 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 look, I, I wait a pick and minute as as five year old Jolene says. This guy is way too optimistic to me. Yes. Um. It, it really, it's 2017. We're talking about two and a half. Well, yeah, two and a half years here. We we might have I think a hundred self driving cars in three years, not ten million. That's what I'm saying. I don't think there's the manufacturing capacity for the self driving cars to get ten million of them on the road, unless you fudge your numbers and you count Teslas that are already out there as self driving cars. And even then, I don't think there are even a hundred thousand Teslas on the road. Uh, and, and Uber just crashed one in, or well, I guess so somebody crashed into the Uber car in uh what arizona and so they stopped those for a little bit so we're gonna have those hiccups let's be honest uber was innocent uber was innocent are you sure the other driver failed to yield 
So, all right. So this guy continues. There are currently about 1.4 billion cars on the road. Many of those cars and eventually all are going to be replaced by self-driving vehicles. So he must be talking about worldwide. Why? Okay. I guess. Car sharing is already growing in popularity. The companies that take the lead with the best and brightest self-driving car will do very well. Those that are late to the game or fail to impress will soon dry up and blow away. Well, that, that makes sense. David Gallant of Forbes continues, As I said above, my research leads me to believe that there will be 10 million self-driving cars on the road by 2020, with one in four cars being self-driving by 2030. But I think those estimates, especially for the one by 2030, are just too conservative. While it took approximately 50 years for electricity to be adopted by 60% of the U.S. households, it took cell phones only about 10 years, and though it's not shown on the chart, smartphones only about five years to reach the same penetration. So once the first self-driving cars go on sale, who will want to buy an obsolete manual driving one? In addition, given the recent improvements in safety, it will be only a matter of time before driving of cars is outlawed outside the hobby of clubs and racetracks. Interesting. That's, I mean... It's very uh, dystopian, I think, would be the word. It's the, it's all of this is plausible, right? I mean, yeah, he's not plausible. saying anything that none of us can cannot imagine, right? Because like that Uber crash, or sorry, the distracted driver, or whatever the other. Anyway, um, this it's going to be have to be either or. You, it's going to be hard to have mingling regular drivers and self driving vehicles. Well, let me posit it to you like this, right? So I live my family lives in Vermont. So as it stands right now, if we were going to try to drive car- cross country, you're talking about multiple stops, you're talking about probably a 3 to 4 day trip. If you can have a self driving car make the majority of that trip, me and the wife and the dog are just chilling in the car right. while the car drives itself to Vermont and yeah, it's uncomfortable, but it's I mean, you're talking about a day, a day and a half instead of a 4 day excursion. But your car when you it will be a self driving car will be most likely for those longer trips much more comfortable because they're going to be configured in a way where it will have a seat that will not just have to be designed so you're sitting perfectly behind a wheel where you can reach the pedals you can actually be in a seat that can recline all the way into a bed like they have on some of those super jetliners that go to singapore uh non-stop right right so you can get those little cabins that are little apartments if you will and i think that's what your 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 car is going to turn into a microbus with a little kitchenette, uh, maybe uh, some electronic stuff that you can use, a TV. Right. I mean, it's going to look completely different than a regular car does now because the cars now are designed to haul you. All, everybody's facing the same direction. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, I think once people realize that self-drive, the ease of the self-driving car, it's going to be a lot easier for them to get into a self-driving car and purchase a self-driving car. And it's one of those where... With Facebook, I think we all thought it was a fad for such a long period of time until we realized that it wasn't a fad. It's not going anywhere. And in reality, it's probably going to continue to shape the country for the next 50 or 60 years. Self-driving cars are the same thing. Once it happens, there's no turning back. Yep. And so David Galland, who wrote this guest piece for Forbes, continues by saying the sectors that he believes will vanish or morph are car manufacturers. He says car sharing is already growing in popularity. When getting a ride someplace is as easy and inexpensive as ordering an automated Uber, we can expect a significant percentage of people to realize that car ownership is a thing of the past. He says the car, the used car industry will go away. Because there will be a big play here, recycling of all the obsolete cars, 
perhaps in the early days, by selling them to third world countries or rendering them into their raw materials and selling them off. But the overhang of used cars will n- really not be there. Theoretically, yes. But if you could come up, and, and I'm sure that somebody's already thought of this, if you could retrofit used vehicles so that they became self-driving, isn't there suddenly a much bigger market there oh, sure. for that? Sure, sure, sure. And I'm sure somebody's going to try to figure that out. Uh, he says, insurance companies. The data so far suggests that the ins- that the introduction of self-driving cars will reduce the number of traffic accidents by upward of 90%. Lots of consequences here, including redefining the whole idea of personal car insurance. We've talked about that. Yes, we have. Whether the insurance actually goes falls then to the vehicle or the manufacturer or to the software developer of the of the technology and all that stuff. And I'll bet you it still winds up falling to the owner of the Probably. vehicle. Automobile repair shops. 90% fewer accidents means a lot less revenue for the 500,000 or so automobile repair shops. It will also give a rise to a new industry in repairing automated cars, and specifically the technology that makes them tick. Trucking. On the positive side of the equation, companies will benefit from greatly reduced costs of transporting their goods. Fewer accidents will lead to lower insurance and legal costs. On the negative side, there are 3.5 million U.S. truck drivers, many of whom will soon be unemployed. But that that is true. But there's also a lot of truck driver. There's a need right now for truck drivers. So the self-driving, at least initially, will fill that gap and then maybe start taking over some of those some of those routes but not every route I think can be because truck drivers they don't just drive the truck they also unload and load and there's a lot of other things involved with with what they're doing rather than just sitting behind the wheel and driving the truck. Well, you take all that out of the equation. That's somewhere where the federal government does step in and mandates that there needs to be a body in the truck at all times just in case. Yeah, so you'll probably have somebody, but maybe not as skilled as actually driving it. All right, human transport companies. Again, good for reducing business expense, bad for the million or so taxi, Uber, and bus drivers that are out there. Parcel delivery companies, not so good for the drivers, but could provide some interesting opportunities for the parcel delivery companies that extended beyond savings to the cost of the drivers. For example, if the idea of automated shopping and home delivery becomes much more viable, with the need for personal garages are no longer necessary for many people, maybe those will become automated delivery bays for stuff you order that can be dropped off while you're not home. Because if you don't have cars then you don't need your garage that already built into your house, and you could turn that into another room or some other use. And I think that's what he's getting at, which is a pretty interesting concept. Tire manufacturers. A more consistent and lower rate of speed will cause tires to last longer. In addition, given driverless cars can't change their own tires, expect new tires to run on flat and that technology to be advanced even further. That's going to be really interesting. One of the things my wife brought up when we were talking about this is, what does the self-driving car do in the event of a blowout? Because you don't have enough time to put a human driver behind the wheel. Yeah, we mentioned that in the last podcast. Car interior design. Without the need for a driver, expect a shift in car designers' focus to forward more comfortable and luxury seating and completely rethink the car interior. We just mentioned that. Senior and disabled mobility. As it stands now, once a person reaches a certain age, they can no longer drive, or shouldn't, which is greatly restricting their mobility. With automated car services, that issue vanishes. That's a good point, but what about their golf carts that they love so much that they like to drive at the villages? 
Hos- <laughs> we could never have automated golf carts, could we? Uh, we could. Uh, hospitals and emergency services. Every year in the United States, 1.3 million people are injured in auto accidents with about 40,000 fatalities. A 90% reduction in accidents means saving a lot of time and resources for all of the links in the emergency response chain, from police being called to accident sites, ambulance drivers, emergency room doctors and assistants, etc. Parking. Part 1. Why would anyone drive themselves into a city and waste time and money looking for parking when they could be delivered to their destination in comfort by a self-driving Uber, wave goodbye to the car as it drives off? This means less traffic congestion, less need for a parking space, but also a drop in city revenues from parking meters and parking tickets, right? Parking part two. The people who insist on owning their own car, perhaps because it offers superior level of comfort, still won't want to deal with parking. That gives rise to a new technology that enables self-driving cars to search for available parking spots on a nearby street by themselves. As well as a new breed of high-tech parking garages that like that are being offered in Germany or China or Japan that will stack up your cars, right? In Seattle, what they've seen is uh, people just send their self-driving cars home. Right. Exactly. That, that is another option. Now, while there's much misconception about the impact electric cars will have on carbon emissions, because the power required to charge a car has come from somewhere, self-driving cars should all but eliminate the use of gasoline for driving. Interesting. That would be interesting to see. I don't, I don't know necessarily know about that. We'll see about that. Uh, so this guy continues, the big drawback to electric cars is the charging time, but in a world where your car can deliver itself to the nearest charging station while you're otherwise occupied will greatly change the dynamic. Refueling with gas becomes problematic for self-driving cars. It would be much less of a challenge, say, to pull in an automated charging bay, have the battery pack swapped out. Fortunes will be made in delivering these sorts of innovations. That is pretty revolutionary. Imagine if you did. You pulled in, the uh, battery pack comes out, you have a new one that just, it's like changing the battery in your electric drill. Agreed. In your cordless drill. That same thing. Uh, He continues, the military, without the need for a driver, armored and armed vehicle will be sent into dangerous places to hunt down any enemy combatants that survive the swarms of killer drones leading the charge. In addition to drop-in fees and penalties related to human driving, governments are going to have to rethink the entire road system. In time, they should come around to supporting the technology because their clear safety benefits will steamroll any bureaucratic foot-dragging. Networking privacy. To gain the maximum efficiency of technology, cars, parking bays, roads, people, all going to have to have to be networked. Say goodbye to traffic congestion, which invariably created by human action that will be avoided when all the cars operate in concert with each other. When you call your self-driving Uber, it will already have your payment information, the owner's network of parking garages, automated battery pack replacement services, all which will stay constant and in communication so that the service is going to be delivered seamlessly. That makes sense. Smart. The whole notion of DUIs will go away. Freeing people to visit their favorite restaurant for a more relaxed evening out without having to worry to the extra, having that extra glass of wine, liquor, sales should actually do better as well. Woohoo! There we go. But if you're still responsible, technically, behind the wheel, I don't think DUI thing will ever go away. Uh, at the end of the day, the biggest impact will be the daily lives of hundreds of millions of people around the world. Imagine, for instance, the benefit of eliminating traffic congestion. We all know the people who spend an hour or more a day commuting to work in miserable circumstances. It's pretty interesting to think about all those different changes that could happen with self-driving cars as they get as they get more and more uh, available. Completely agree. However, I think it's a pipe dream to say that self-driving cars will cure gridlock and cure congestion. Right. 
Now, yeah, in a perfect world, then all the cars talk to each other and you wouldn't need, we've talked about this before, where you wouldn't even need traffic lights because they can all talk to each other and you don't need to stop. You just keep going because they can all automatically time themselves out. But there are still the human element and there's still, uh, humans are humans. Exactly. And there's a reason that we haven't had anybody living on the moon yet or living on Mars yet and doing all these, I mean, we're people. We have biological functions, and that's going to keep us back from a lot of the futuristic we're going to live in. Uh, I mean, honestly, have you ever seen a bathroom on the Starship Enterprise? Just destroying sci-fi today, Jason Luber. I mean, so honestly. I mean, no, you're right. I mean, it's bodily functions, and, and the human condition really is, I think, what keeps most of our big-time technology dreams. Uh, dreams. Ba- yeah. Dreams, yeah. exactly right. Agreed. Anyway, so that's uh, we're running out of time here because I got to get back to do some stuff. Uh, anyway, here's a, <laughs> that's a look at the podcast for today, Joseph. It was pretty good. You're 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 tired. I can see that you're tired. You're stretching. You're yawning. You're a tired man today. Fidgeting. It's all good. You can catch me on Twitter, Joseph Denver Seven. You can catch him on Twitter, Denver Seven Traffic. Hit us up. There you have it. Uh, thanks again for listening. Thanks again for being a part of the podcast. We do appreciate it very much. Uh, until next time, I am the Traffic Guy, Jason Luber. I'm the overnight producer. Joseph Peters. Be safe, and as always, happy motoring.